0: Hello, you've reached the podcast at Chesbro Baptist Church, continuing in our series on the life of Joseph. This morning we're in Genesis chapter 39, verses 1 and 2, and the title of the message this morning is Tempted and Tried. Please enjoy. All right, take your Bibles this morning and turn to Genesis chapter 39. Genesis chapter 39. Genesis chapter 39, continuing in the life of Joseph this morning, Genesis chapter number 39. This is week number three, Genesis chapter 39. If you have your places in Genesis 39 and you're physically able, I'm going to ask you to stand one last time in respect and reverence to the Word of God. We're going to read two verses, pray, and then sit back down. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 39 and verse number 1, And Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had bought him down thither. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. The title of the message this morning is Tempted and Tried. Tempted and Tried. Let's pray. Dear Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you once again for giving us the opportunity to be in your holy house today. Lord, I pray that you'd bless this service. May the power of God rest upon your people this morning, be with the preaching of the Word of God. In Jesus Christ's precious name I pray, amen. You may be seated. Joseph has just been through a very traumatic thing in his life. His brother's hatred of him and his brother's jealousy of him. And he did absolutely nothing to deserve it. And Joseph has been sold into slavery by his brothers. A band of Ishmaelites has come and taken Joseph and wrapped him up, a 17-year-old boy. And now they start to travel to the land of Egypt. They get into the land of Egypt. By the time he gets into Egypt, he's probably 18 years old. And as he he tops the hill and he sees the country and he sees the main city and he looks out over the skyline, he sees a sight that he's never seen before in his eyes. In fact, he sees something that he doesn't believe that men could even build something that big. He sees the great pyramids and he sees the sphinx which by the time of Joseph had already been there a thousand years. He's seeing something that his great granddaddy Abraham had seen so many years before him. Now Joseph is seeing the exact same thing. He, as he walks through the city, he sees the great and big powerful mansions of all these wealthy people in Egypt, but then situated next to them are the mud huts of the poor. He's checked in as a slave. The receipt is given to the customs officer, and he is marched up to the bidding block, and the bidding begins for him to be sold once again into slavery. A man was at the auction that day. Uh, I don't know if he was there, if he needed a slave, or if he was just window shopping. Uh, we really don't know why he was there, but he walks up that day, and he looks at this 18-year-old boy, and and, and the, the, this man is a captain of the guard. His name is Potiphar. Captain of the guard means that he was the chief of, basically he was the chief of police. He looks at this little he looks at this 18-year-old boy, and other than the obvious look of betrayal that was over his face, he could tell that this was no ordinary slave. And so this man of power, this man of authority, this man of wealth, he looked on this 18 year old boy. He raised his hand and he began to bid, and he won the bid. You know, it didn't take Potiphar very long to recognize the gifts that Joseph had. Didn't take him very long at all. Uh, uh, Potiphar had never knew, and probably had never known an an honest slave. He knew known few, very few honest men. Probably fewer honest politicians. But man, something was different about Joseph. Joseph stood out above everybody else, even though. He was a slave Man Potiphar didn't realize The gold mine The gold mine that he had struck When he won Joseph In that auction You know There are many things said about Joseph's life in the Bible But there's Nothing greater said about Joseph's life than these Words And the Lord was with Joseph. Wherever Joseph went, there was the Lord. Joseph was in the pit, there was the Lord. Joseph was with Potiphar, there was the Lord. Wherever Joseph went, the Lord was with him. And I just want to talk a little bit this morning about Joseph's life. Uh, My first point this morning, we're going to call it Joseph's management. Joseph's management. Let's begin reading again in verse number 2. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him, and he made him overseer over his house, and all that he had put into his hand. And it came to pass from the time that he had made him overseer in his house, and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptians' house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he knew not aught he had, save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person and well favored." The Lord was with Joseph. Man, there are many descriptions of men in the Bible all the way from a man after God's own heart unto the friend of God. But man, when you say those words, when that's the summation of your life, that the Lord was with you, man, that is, that is something special. It's something special for the Bible to say of Joseph's life that the Lord was with him. But, you know, uh, maybe sometimes Joseph, you know, because he went through so much in his life, maybe he was kind of like the fiddler on the roof when he said, Lord, I know we're your chosen people, but could we just not be for a little while? I mean, because of all the calamities and all the horrible things that happened to Joseph in his life, and you could almost imagine Joseph saying, can I get a little break? God, can you give me just a little rest? I'm a little weary, God. Can you give me just a little bit of rest? But you see, it's interesting. That's interesting because the Bible says that the Lord was with Joseph. it is in the word of God. The Lord was with Joseph. But guess what? Even though the Lord was with Joseph, it did, it did not prevent his brothers from hating him. Even though the Lord was with Joseph, it did not prevent his brothers from being jealous of him. Even though, if, uh, even though the Lord was with him, it did not prevent him being thrown into the pit. It did not prevent him being sold into slavery. It did not prevent him from false accusations. It did not prevent him from being uh, thrown into prison. Let me tell you something, Christian. The Lord is with you. It does not mean you have an immunity from trouble. You are not going to have an immunity from trouble. And any prosperity preaching preacher that stands behind a pulpit and says, All you have to do is be a Christian and everything will go your way. I'm here to tell you today that is a person selling snake oil to you. Because that is not in the Word of God. In fact, Jesus saith, You shall have tribulation. Do not believe anybody that says that the Christian life is hunky-dory and everything goes your way and your bills are always paid. And if it's not that way, then you're not praying enough. If it's not that way, then you're not going to church enough. If it's not that way, then you're not reading your Bible enough. That's not what the Word of God says. Jesus said, you shall have tribulation." And all this stuff that, Jesus, that that Joseph did and the Lord was with him every step of the way did not give Joseph an immunity from trouble. But you know what? We often complain when we get in those difficult places. We get down in the valley and we start bellyaching and we start boo-hooing and we start crying and we start trying to blame God for everything. But when it's our job to have faith in God and it's our job to trust God and it's our job to have faith that even in the valley he can make us successful. Not successful by our standards. Successful by his. There is a difference. You can't measure success with our measuring stick. You have to measure success with God's measuring stick. And if you look at Joseph's life, he was successful. You know, it's very very easy to see early in Joseph's life he had no control over his situations. And in fact, he had absolutely no control over his circumstances. He had absolutely none. But here's what we see in Joseph's life. God overruled the evil evil men that controlled his fate and steered Joseph where he wanted to go. Even though Joseph had no control, even though other, in fact, uh, the control of his life was in the hands of other sinful men, God still steered their hearts. And Joseph ended up where God wanted him to be. Maybe that's the situation in your life. Maybe there's a situation in your life where you have absolutely no control over it. In fact, your fate lies in the hands of other sinful people. Just remember that that God steers the heart of the king, and that God is in control. The Bible says, And his master saw that the Lord was with him. You know what Joseph did as a slave? He worked hard. Joe, you know what Joseph did as a slave? He trusted God. Joseph did as a slave, he received blessings from God. And you know what the, what the cause of that was? What happened because of that is Joseph showed Potiphar that his God was real. Even though Potiphar probably didn't get saved, he still knew Joseph's God was real can people look at your life can people look at my life and even though they might not agree with me even though they might never be saved even though they might never repent of their sins can they look at our life and have absolutely no doubt that our God is real because that's what happened with Joseph Potiphar knew that Joseph's God was real You understand that your boss at work should see Jesus in you and where you go and who you deal with. They should see the difference that Jesus makes in your life. And you know, God promoted Joseph even though he was a slave. God advanced Joseph even though he was a slave. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been forced to do something that you really didn't want to do and so you just kind of haphazardly did it? You're being forced to be here. You're being forced to do something. You're doing something against your will. So you just kind of go through the motions and haphazardly do it and don't put any effort behind it. I've been there. I've done that before. And it's real easy for someone to do. It probably would have been real easy for Joseph to do something like that. Just kind of write off his position because he's a slave. Because he's being forced to be there. Because it really doesn't make a difference anyway and just kind of go through the motions and take it easy and take the easy path. But that's not what Joseph did. Joseph put in effort. He didn't write off his position. Why? Because Joseph believed, and catch this, Joseph believed that God could bless him where he was at. Some of us We're waiting on a better situation before we try to get blessed from God. We say, oh, when things get easier, then I'll try harder. That's fool's logic. That's fool's logic. When my family situation gets better, then I'll start coming to church. When my finances get better, then I'll start tithing. When I start to see God work in my life, then I'll start praying again. That's backwards. But man, we do it every single day. And Christians do it every single day. And they wait on their situation to get better before they start trying to make it better. And that's fool's logic. And that's not what Joseph did. Joseph got about as low as low could get. You know what he did he said I'm going to make God bless me right where I am and the Bible says the Lord blessed the Egyptians house for his for Joseph's sake did you know that your workplace can be blessed through godliness did you know that the godliness that you bring into your workplace can bless your workplace it can now, I went to Howells Anderson College. I went to a Bible college in Indiana called Howes Anderson College. And while we were there, they were trying to get the, uh, the, 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 the there was a work liaison that got the college students jobs in, around the area. And some of the uh, uh, places of employment really wanted those Bible college students because there was something about them. They worked harder and they were better at their job and, and they cared more about their job. And so they really wanted those Bible college students to put them in those positions. But then there were other jobs that didn't want the college students because they had bad experience with college students because these Bible college students, sometimes they wouldn't show up for work or they'd quit. or So you have both sides. But well, most of the time, These businesses, they really wanted these Bible college students because there's something about a Christian. There's something about a Christian that stands out. You ever heard of the cream rising to the top? A lot of time a Christian will do that. But that's not the Christian, that's the God that's in them. Okay? Joseph was that cream. Joseph was that cream that rose to the top. But I'm here to tell you, it didn't happen overnight. It did not happen quickly. When Joseph was sold into slavery, he was 17 years old. When he got promoted in Pharaoh's house, he was 30 and he had spent two years in prison. That means he spent 11 years in Potiphar's house. And we've been in our valley six months. We've been in our valley six months and we're thinking, when is it going to end? Joseph was in Potiphar's house for 11 years. It took 11 years for God to finally come around and say, Joseph, you've been faithful enough. It's time. I'm going to bless you. It took 11 years for that to happen. You know, that seems like a long time. Some people think, man, if it's God's will, it should happen quickly. Sometimes it does. Most of the time it doesn't. Most of the time it doesn't. Normally, God allows things to develop slowly over time. Look at it like this. A human child, both in the womb and in childhood, Takes longer to develop than the than any animal, but when that child does develop, it is more intelligent than any animal ever could be. Think about this: small acorn from a one small acorn can grow. It takes years and years and years to turn into a a mighty tall oak tree, but you can grow a squash overnight. So what do you want to be? You want to be a squash? Or you want to be a mighty oak? And the Bible says he left all that he had in Joseph's hand. Who should be the hardest worker? The Christian. Who should show up first and leave last? The Christian. When everybody else is hardly working... Who should be hardworking? The Christian. You see, when when Joseph came to Egypt, he was at a great disadvantage. He didn't know the culture. He didn't know the language. He didn't know the way of doing business. He didn't know the customs. He had to get up early and stay late not to get ahead just to be on the same level with everybody else. Let me tell you something. When you're a Christian, the world is already against you. You're already at a disadvantage when you're a Christian, so you've got to step it up. Don't back down from that fact. Step up to it. You know what Joseph reminds me of? Joseph reminds me of the man in Psalms 1. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. I know you'd rather be somewhere else. Christian, I know right now you are in a valley and you are suffering and you are going through a hard time and you would rather be somewhere else. Let me tell you where Joseph would have liked to have been. Joseph would have rather been at home in Canaan with his dad and his little brother. That's where Joseph would have rather been. You know what Joseph did? Joseph took the circumstances that God had allowed in his life and made the best of them. He didn't whine about them. He didn't complain about them. He didn't blame them on somebody else. He said, I'm going to do the best with the circumstances that God has allowed me to be in. And man, can we ever take a lesson from that today? People all the time, every day, allow their circumstances to knock them out of church. Allow their circumstances to knock, to knock them out of being faithful to God, of being faithful to the things of God. And man, that's when you should buckle down. Proverbs 20, 22, 29 See if thou a man diligent in his business, he shall stand before kings, he shall not stand before mean men. In Matthew 25, Jesus tells a story. He gives talents to three men, varying degrees, according to their ability. He leaves and goes off on a, this master leaves and goes off on a journey. He stays gone for a while and then he comes back. And two, he commends. Because they took what God had given them. You know what they did? They reinvested it. They did something with it. They made something with it. And guess what? They were commended. But there was one. He didn't get ten. He didn't get five. He only got one. Excuse me? Excuse me, God? Are you talking to me? Huh? God, you're only going to give me one? One talent? You gave this guy over here ten. You gave this guy over here five. And you're only going to give me one? That's not fair. Nobody else has to go through what I go through. So you're only going to give me one? Well, i tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to take my... one talent you decided to grace me with. And I'm going to throw it away. I'm not, I'm not going to use it. And when God came back. He was condemned. Because he didn't take the one thing that God gave him. And use it. I'll oh, forget that. The point is. The point is. Take what you have and use it. Number two, Joseph's morality. Verse number seven. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. But he refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master, what not what is with me in the house? And he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I, neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And it came to pass, as she spake to Joseph day by day, that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. And it came to pass about this time that Joseph went out into the house to do his business, and there was none of the men of the house there uh, there within. And she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. The Bible says at the end of verse 6 that Joseph was a goodly person and well-favored. You know what that means? That means Joseph was handsome and good-looking. There are only two other times in the Bible where the Bible calls men beautiful. And that's David and Absalom. And now we have Joseph. Let me tell you something. This, for Joseph, was an intense daily struggle for him. It was an intense daily struggle. Why? Number one, because uh, this was somebody who had authority over him. Potiphar's wife had authority over him. And she was trying to use that authority to trap him. Another reason is because Joseph is in a foreign land. He's way away from anybody that would care. He's way away from anybody that would know. He could have done it and nobody would have known. But then this was also an intense daily struggle for him because he was a man. And he's built out of the same stuff that every other man is. Let me tell you something. Every man has a lust problem. If you are a red-blooded American man, you have a lust problem. If you don't, you're either a liar or like Fred G. Sanford would, you know, you know. But hey, listen, if you're a red-blooded American man, you have a lust problem. We all do. That is how were built but you know what for anybody man or a woman you know what the flesh wants the flesh wants to trade anything for immediate satisfaction The flesh is willing to trade anything for immediate satisfaction. The flesh does not care about your future. The flesh does not care about your family. The flesh does not care about about your conscience. In fact, your flesh hates those things. Absolutely detests them. It despises all of them. All it cares for is immediate satisfaction. Much like Potiphar's wife wanted Joseph's. You know what else? Our flesh often craves what it cannot have. If you can't have it, uh, you know, so some, some parents, they, they be careful about telling their kids they can't have something because if they can't have it, they'll want it more. That's, that's flesh. That's the flesh in them. Satan seeks to destroy a Christian's life however it can. But when it comes to adultery, when it comes to the specific sin of adultery, there's some extra implications in adultery. In fact, one of the implications of adultery is it destroys the picture of Christ and the church. You see, marriage is a picture of the bride and the groom. The bride... Is the church, and the groom is Jesus. And marriage is a picture of the pure love that that relationship demonstrates. Adultery breaks that down and destroys that picture. Another thing is it breaks a covenant, a promise. It breaks a covenant that the physical union of a man and wife is to be significant and pleasurable inside of the marriage. It breaks that. And so, so much more. So what's the progression of adultery? I've got three things this morning that's the progression of adultery. Number one, I want you to see that adultery begins in the heart. Adultery begins in the heart. It's, it's all, you know, because adultery is it's br- the breaking of a covenant. It's the breaking of a promise. A promise is is abstract. Another thing I want you to see is all sin begins in the heart. All sin begins in the heart. So that means if it begins in the heart, then it's more than just a physical act. Adultery is more than just a physical act. So you may be in here and you may say, Brother Brad, I've never committed adultery. I will never commit adultery, so this isn't for me. Hold hold, hold on just a second. Hold on just a second. If we look at this a little more carefully, we can come to different conclusions about how innocent we really are. Let's look at what Jesus said, Matthew 5, 27 and 28. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Adultery is not limited to the physical. It's not. Number two, I want you to see that adultery comes from a lack of understanding. Adultery comes from a lack of understanding. Proverbs 6:32, "But whoso committeth adultery with a woman lacketh understanding: he that doeth it destroyeth his own soul." It capitalizes on the lure of the immediate. Satan uses adultery a lot of the ways the same way a used car salesman tries to sell you a car. You ever go to a car lot and man that that car salesman he sits you down and he says like man what can I do today? Tell me what I can do today? To make, to, to make this happen he sits you down and says is there anything I can do for you to make this happen he looks at you and he says you see that brand new car over there you deserve that car you've been working real hard you ain't never had anything new in your life all, all your, your new car smells have been imported by a little tree you hang on your window it's time you got that smell for real you deserve this uh, you've been working really hard you deserve this Another opportunity may never come around like this again. When you walk out of this door, you will never have this deal again. You sit down there, you just enjoy yourself and I'll do all the work. And what that salesman is trying to do is for you to keep your eyes on the car and not on the payments. And that's what Satan's trying to do. Keep your eye on the pleasure and not the pain. I once heard a speaker speak. He wrote out several consequences that would happen if he ever walked through this door called desire. I'm going to read those consequences to you. I will grieve the one who redeemed me, I will drag his sacred name through the mud. I will look to Jesus, uh, I will look at Jesus in the eye one day and give an account of my life. I will inflict untold hurt on my wife, who is my best friend and who has been faithful to me. I will lose my wife's respect, her love, and her trust. I will hurt my beloved children. I will destroy my example and my credibility. I might lose my wife and children forever. I will shame my family. I will lose my own self-respect. I could invoke lifelong shame and embarrassment on myself. And Satan sits back and says, Can I make this happen for you right now? Now God, on the other hand, on the other side of the coin, God's a little repressive. And God's a little restrictive. And God doesn't change. And God says, Thou shalt not commit adultery under any circumstance for any reason. And God puts up a wall. Let me tell you something today, Christian. That wall is not there to keep you away from something good. That wall is there to keep you away from sorrow that wall is there to keep you away from shame. That wall is there to keep you away from grief. And that wall is there to keep you from ruining your life. So, number three, adultery demonstrates a distorted view of love and commitment. A lot of people say that... The, the, um, Divorce's greatest contributor is incompatibility. That's the big thing to say. That's the language to use in our society today. But the truth is, it's irresponsibility, it's selfishness, and it's lack of commitment. You know what adultery does? Adultery focuses on the individual persons. It focuses on my pleasure, and that's not what marriage is about. Marriage is not about focusing on yourself. Marriage is about f- focusing on each other. And when you focus on self instead of each other, the marriage isn't going to work. It's not going to work. I want you to remember something. I want you to remember that God keeps his promises. That's why I'm saved forever. That's why I cannot lose my salvation. I did nothing to work to get it. I don't have to work to keep it. Because once God makes a promise, his promise is binding. He is faithful to himself. And that's not based on my character, bless God. That is a promise based on his character. Because if it was based on my character, man, we would be in trouble. I would be in some serious trouble if my salvation was dependent upon my actions. But it's not. A covenant, a promise that God, that God makes, He keeps it because it's not based on me, it's based on Him. 2 Timothy 2.13 says, If we believe not, yet He abideth faithful. Did you hear that? Let me read that again. 2 Timothy 2.13 If we believe not, yet He abideth faithful, He cannot deny Himself. Now this is hard. That's why even if your spouse is unfaithful to you, you can still be faithful to him or her. See, now we're, that's a harder pill to swallow. That's harder. It's one thing to say, okay, you don't need to commit adultery, you need to be faithful to your spouse. That's one thing. It's a horse of a different color when you have to say, Okay, your spouse has been unfaithful to you but you still have to be faithful to your spouse that hits different that's different that's not the same but I made a covenant I made a promise and if God can't break his promises he doesn't want me to break mine either and so, what was the key to Joseph's victory here? How did he get over this with, with Potiphar's wife? How did he have this victory? Well, Joseph had a different understanding of reality than Potiphar's wife did. Okay? First, he knew how he would answer. Verse 9 There is none greater in this house than I, neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against Potiphar? No. It doesn't say that. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Now God, back up in verse 2, is different than God here in verse 9. See, God, back in verse 2, is the word Jehovah. It's that covenant. It's that promise keeping. Uh, God God was Jehovah for Joseph because he's going to keep his promise and keep his covenant and keep him safe as he goes into Egypt. But here in verse 9, when it comes to Potiphar's wife, he doesn't say Jehovah. You know what he says here? He says Elohim. And that's the root word of power and might. And Joseph is saying here, he's saying, I know who's in charge. I know who my real authority is. And even though this was Potiphar's wife, and even though Potiphar is my boss, if I did this sin, it would not be against Potiphar. It would be against God. David said the same thing with Bathsheba. All the people that David hurt, and he said in Psalms uh, 51.4, he said... Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and clear when thou judgest. So he had an answer. He had it planned out. Number next, he knew his audience. Joseph was in there with Potiphar's wife. Nobody else was in there, but you know who Joseph, who else Joseph knew was in there? He knew God was in there. He feared God. He said, God is watching me. God sees what I do. And then number three, he knew his authority. Genesis 39, 4. And Joseph found grace in his sight and served him, and he made him overseer over his house, and all that he had he put into his hand. Now that word hand there, it means power, and it means strength. It conveys the idea of authority. We also see the word in verse 8. But he refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master, wotteth not, what is with me in the house? He hath committed all that he hath to my hand. Joseph knew where his authority stopped. He knew his limit, okay? He knew that God had not given him authority over Potiphar's wife, that Potiphar had not given him authority over Potiphar's wife, He knew his limit. He knew his authority. And that's why he stopped. And now my third main point this morning, this won't be very long, is Joseph's mistreatment, starting in verse number 13. And it came to pass when when she saw that, that he had left his garment in her hand, And was fled forth that she called unto the men of her house and spake unto them saying, See, he hath brought in an Hebrew unto us to mock us. And he came in unto me to lie with me. And I cried with a loud voice and it came to pass. When he heard that, I lifted up my voice and cried. He left his garment with, uh, he left his garment with me and fled and got him out. And she laid up his garment by her until his Lord came home. And she spake unto him according to these words, saying, The Hebrew servant which thou hast brought unto us came in unto me to mock me. And it came to pass as I lifted up my voice and cried, that he left his garment with me and fled out. And it came to pass when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spake unto him, saying, After this manner did thy servant unto me that his wrath was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound, and he was there in prison. Now we've been saying this whole time that Joseph is a picture of Christ. Let me show you one more way in which Joseph is a picture of Christ. No doubt these accusations come against Joseph. He was very grieved for them. No doubt he was grieved and offended that he would be accused after all the effort and everything that he did for this family and everything he did for Potiphar. Now to be grieved and, and now to have somebody uh, make an accusation against him with, with very, very little evidence and and nothing really to substantiate it. And Potiphar is beginning the Me Too movement here and she's making an accusation against Joseph and and, and there's no founding for it. And Joseph... You know what Joseph says against it? Nothing. You can't find in this Bible where Joseph answered anything against these accusations. He did not defend himself. You know who that sounds like to me? That sounds like Jesus. It sounds like someone who was oppressed and afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and a sheep before shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. So someone look at this situation and think, man, this isn't fair, God. Basically, Joseph just got a life sentence in prison. Man, 28 years old and sentenced to life in prison? Man, that's horrible. Well, I'm here to tell you, it could have been a lot worse. You know what the punishment for this was? Attempted rape? by a slave, on the captain of the guard's wife, he should have been killed. He should have died. This is actually a merciful sentence. But I want to show you something real quick that I think is real interesting. See, the fact that Joseph wasn't put to death makes me question something. The Bible says that Potiphar's wrath was kindled. More than likely... Because Joseph wasn't sentenced to death, Potiphar's wrath was more likely more kindled at his wife than Joseph. Potiphar probably knew his wife's role in it, but because she had made this public in order to save face, the only thing that he could do was put Joseph into prison. And the fact that Joseph wasn't put to death actually gives some validity to this theory but Joseph is being treated unfairly. He's being mistreated and abused. But all this time, God is working His perfect plan when He sold Joseph into slavery. And even though Joseph is subject to the sinful choices of others, God uses that to bring forth His will. Did God make Potiphar's wife accuse him falsely of rape? No, but He sure used it. He sure used it. Had God left Joseph in Potiphar's house, his plan would have never come to fruition. Joseph was in the pit, and the Lord was there. Then he went to Potiphar's, and the Lord was there. Now he's in prison, and the Lord is there, and he meant it for good. Christian, I want you to remember that the circumstances of your life may be a result of other people's sinful choices. That's not fair. It's not. It's not fair you should suffer because of somebody else's sin. But God can take that. And God can use that. God wants to use that for your good. The Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy.